Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Blessed are the mediators and the reconciliation seekers. Blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and those they bully, for they reflect the character of God, the ultimate peacekeeper, and are his beloved children. For they will reflect, for they reflect, for they reflect the character of God, the ultimate peacekeeper, and are his beloved children. Good to see all of you this morning. As you may have guessed through song and prayer and spoken word that we are continuing our series on the Beatitudes, looking at blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaking seems like an appropriate topic this time of year, doesn't it? It feels like this coming week, many of us will be sitting down at tables with people that we deeply love, people that we deeply tolerate, And we could use a little bit of peacemaking in our lives. In fact, coming out of the elections the past few weeks, man, we live in a world that desperately needs peace. What should the church be doing? How should we be living in the world? Peacemaking just in the nick of time that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. And just like us, Jesus lived in a world that desperately needed peace. And yet he feared that those who lived in those times had given up on peace, that they had decided that the time for peacemaking was past. And I sometimes worry, based on what I see on social media, on the news, in conversations I have, that we decide the time for peacemaking is past that it's time for something else, time to pick up arms, time to fight. Is that what the church should be about? On the one hand, we have the chaotic world we live in, but we also have all kinds of interpersonal strife. You step into homes and classrooms, boardrooms and soccer fields, hockey rinks, where there is turmoil and strife and not all as well. And on the other hand, we have Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. How do we make sense of this? How do we live in a world and hold the tension of where who Jesus calls us to be and how he challenges us to be peacemakers? I thought we could start by just asking, what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the peacemakers? The first thing I want you to see is that blessed are peacemakers because when peace is made, God draws near. God draws near. I want you to take out these Bibles. If you have these Matthew Journal Bibles, we gave out for several weeks in a row. If you don't have one, we're going to be giving giving more away in a few weeks in January when we jump back into the sermon after, uh, after the Advent series. But if you have one, if you don't, grab a pew Bible in front of you. Grab your own Bible, something that you can make a mark down on. Because what I want you to do is to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that says, Blessed are the peacemakers. And out beside the word blessed, using a pencil or a pen, I want you to jot down near to God. Near to God. 
I want to make the argument that when Jesus says blessed, at least one of the things that he has in mind is that you are near to God because Jesus was deeply informed by the Jewish way of life set out in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament stories, what we see is that when things were going well with the people of God, with the Israelites, that God was near and that God was close. And that when they were having good seasons of being close to God, they felt like life is at rest, life is at peace. And then oppositely, when things were not going well, when they were disobedient, when they were sinful, they felt like God had withdrawn himself. There was a distance that God was far, that he wasn't close. And we see this play out over and over again in the Old Testament. So there's the story of the very beginning of Scripture is the first humans, Adam and Eve. And what happens when they sin? They don't just get removed from paradise. They, they become separated from God. God's no longer close to them. In the same way, the Israelite people experience exile when they sin over and over and over again. God removes them from the land and they experience separation from God and God's promises for them. And so when things are going well, when they're blessed, when there's peace, God is near. When things are not going well, they feel like God is far. So to be blessed for Jesus means for God to be close. So if that's what blessed is, what does Jesus mean when he says peace? Well, the Jewish word for peace was the word shalom. You've probably heard this word in both religious and secular contexts. Shalom was a very important biblical word. It's a rich word, a heavy word, a very valuable and dense word. And it means more than just rest. It means more than just absence of conflict. Shalom meant something much deeper. So Theologian Michael Gorman says, Peace, shalom, is the fullness of life promised by God in the scriptures, manifest in Jesus the Messiah, and actualized for human beings by the ongoing power of the Spirit. Shalom, peace, meant a full, whole, flourishing life. And then the third question is, if that's what peace and blessed means, what does Jesus mean when he says peacemaker. When you hear the word peacemaker, several images might come to mind. For instance, you might think of a professional counselor. A counselor is one who mediates between two or more parties to come to a resolution. You might think of a lawmaker. A lawmaker is one who legislates on behalf of constituencies so that groups can occupy a space, a political space, with, with, with lack of conflict. They legislate for some sense of stability. You might even think about a partner of ministry like, like we have in Telos. Telos is a group that works in the Middle East to create peace and working relationships between Palestinians and Israelites. They are literally on the ground trying to create working relationships between two of the oldest ethnic enemies on the planet. And all of these are good ways to think about peacemaking. They're, in fact, good ways for Christ followers to engage in making peace. But I'm going to contend they are not primarily what Jesus had in mind when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. So remember, Jesus is deeply informed by an Old Testament imagination. And in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of verses that talk about peace. I just want us to look at one. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 
says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. So the prophet Isaiah is showing us that God's power to save that the good news of God's salvation is inseparable from the peace that God desires to bring in the world. For Jesus, peace would have gone hand in glove with God's rescue and salvation in the world. So when God intervenes to make things right, when God steps in to save people, he also makes them whole and he brings shalom. In fact, the best translation for the word peacemakers is probably a word that doesn't make much sense in English, but I'm going to ask you to write it down in your Bibles as well. So write in verse 9, write under the word peacemakers, write the word wholemakers. W-H-O-L-E, wholemakers. Wholemakers is probably the best translation. Blessed are those who make people whole. So for Jesus, the idea of peace was not just the absence of conflict. It was not just some generic worldly peace. What Jesus had in mind is that a peacemaker is someone who participates in God's ongoing redemption project of making humans whole. Jesus had in mind that humans would flourish underneath the protection and the power and the salvation of the rightful king of the world. Blessed are the peacemakers because when they make peace, God comes near to us and to humanity. And it reveals God's heart and God's desires for the whole world. So the second thing I want you to see is that peacemaking matters because the world God is creating is a peace-filled world. How many of you have ever heard the advice, you are what you eat? Raise your hand. I just want to see. Thank you for your honesty. The 930 crowd did not raise their hands. Like they had never heard that phrase before. Okay, second chance. Raise your hand if you've ignored that advice. <laughs> Absolutely, right? What we know is that we, we become what we eat. What we eat matters and the energy that we have and, and, and the lives that we live. And, and when we as humans regularly consume a diet of peace and peacemaking and seeking peace in the world, it will shape who we become, that we become a peaceful and peace-filled people. And then when we live together as the church, we embody, we put on display what a peace-filled world might look like. In Jesus' day, there were several alternative ideas about what might make for peace. Jesus and the other Israelites lived under Roman occupation, and the Roman rule of the day had a thing called the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana meant the Roman way of peace. And the Roman way of peace was when they went into a city or a region and they colonized, here are the rules you should follow. If you follow those rules, there will be peace. If you break those rules, there will be punishment and consequences. So they ruled through fear and intimidation and violence and an iron fist. The Pax Romana was a way of bringing peace through power. Also in Jesus' day, there was a religious sect called the Zealots. 
And the zealots believed that they could bring God's kingdom through violence. That what they needed to do through violent means was eliminate any non-Jewish people who stood in the way of God's people having power. And so they used violence to try to eradicate the Romans and others. So they tried to establish peace through violence. And what Jesus does is Jesus shows up and he laments what's happened. He looks at Jerusalem and he goes, guys, if you had only known what truly makes for peace, what Jesus knows is that when we feed ourselves on a diet of violence and oppression and rebellion, that we will not become peaceful people. And when we feed ourselves on a violence of fear and hatred and anger, we will not become peace-filled people. Only a diet of peacemaking will lead to God's desire for a flourishing people in a flourishing world. We call it the upside-down kingdom because it is the things of God coming down to earth. Not the things of earth going up to God. Jesus says, I make peace in a different way than the world makes peace. And the way Jesus makes peace models a world where sin ceases to have control over your life and over my life. That that the gospel of peace upends and undoes all of the destructive ways and the hostilities of the world. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's talking about all of us. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. He's talking about the church. One body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off. He's talking Gentiles and peace to those who were near. He's talking about the Jews. God begins his project of making a whole and flourishing world by taking two people, two groups of people who formerly hated each other, and he made them into one. He broke down the dividing wall of hostilities and showed that the peace that God offers is more powerful than any of the hostilities that the world can bring us, that the kingdom of God is when God's heart starts to be embodied and lived out by a people called the church. God means for the gospel of peace, the good news, to be both centripetal and centrifugal. It's two SAT words, right? (laughs) Centripetal just means it spins inward. It comes in. That the peace would come in and it would work something in our lives. Centrifugal means it spins outward. That once it spins something in us, it then spins out into the world that they might see that God is good and that he alone can bring peace. What God desires for us, for the church, is what he desires for the world. And so the third thing I want you to see is that peacemakers carry the DNA of God and replicate that DNA into the world. There's a reason that Jesus says 
that peacemakers will be called children of God. It's because there's a family resemblance. It's because just like sons and daughters look like their parents, peacemakers look like God. He's saying that peacemakers carry the DNA of God, and those who claim to carry the DNA of God will be peacemakers. And not only is there a family resemblance, there's also a family business. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, and this is the family business, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as you sit at Thanksgiving tables this week with people who you agree with and disagree with, as you go to workplaces and classrooms and schools and social gatherings with people who you love and people who you tolerate, how can you better make peace? As we live in a chaotic world where we're surrounded by those who want to argue and want to fight, how do we seek a ministry of reconciliation? It won't happen just by living nice, quiet lives and keeping to ourselves. We will not create peace in the world by being passive. I just want to give you four really quick ideas about how to make peace. Not the four ideas or the four ways to make peace, just four things that you can try. The first is reject retaliation. Reject retaliation. This is hard. This is a hard one. When people offend us, we want to fight. We want to respond back. We want to get even. Don't. It will not create peace. Romans 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Live peaceably with all. Reject retaliation. The second one is speak truth. If you are going to bring peace into the world, people must know that they can trust what you say, that you are saying what you mean, and that you mean what you say. You cannot bring truth if people do not trust what you say. So speak truth to bring peace. The third thing is tear down walls. Tear down walls. That when you see hostilities that divide people, you must wage peace against those walls. You must tear them down and make space for people who are divided to come together, that you would remove oppression and that we would remove the obstacles to peace by waging peace in the world and tearing down walls. And the fourth one is that you must risk pain. Jesus says that peacemaking will not always go well for us, that there might be consequences of persecution and suffering as a result of stepping into the peacemaking process. And the one who was willing to die on the cross and knows the deepest pain the world can know is there with us as we risk pain to make peace. The good news, the good news for you and for me is that we were made for peace. We were made for wholeness. We were made to flourish. The bad news is we don't have it in us. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix it. We can't try harder to make peace in our life or in the world. 
But the scriptures point us over and over and over again that God's agent of making peace in the world is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on the cross. Colossians 1, verse 19 says, For in him, in Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by, his blood of the, by the blood of his cross. You see, peacemaking is not possible by humans for humans. But when we learn what it looks like to let Jesus be our peace, We no longer perpetuate the brokenness in our hearts. We start to send the love of God out into the world. The God who has made a way for peace, for shalom, for wholeness to rule in our hearts. When we make peace together, we become a sign for the world of hope that God is not done with us, that God is active and powerful and at work. And we do this through all kinds of ways of peacemaking. I want to encourage you that it's mostly small, mostly baby steps, mostly small moments of making peace in the world. As a church, we try to provide you with opportunities to do that. We sometimes call it missions. That we're not asking you to go into the world and to fix everybody and fix everything and be saviors, but we want, want you to take baby steps towards the peaceful world that God is creating. And so to that end, this holiday season, we have something called the joy of giving. We've done this before as a church. Last year took a year off from it, but this year we are partnering with Lighthouse Church in North Minneapolis and the Weber Park Community Center to create a holiday gift store. It's a really simple act. This is not heroic work of saving people. But what we know is that the holiday season can be so stressful. It's stressful for us. Imagine how stressful it is for those who feel the pressure to provide for their families and can't put enough on the table, much less provide gifts. And so we can step into a void and help ease the burden for some families this season by providing gifts. They'll have a gift shop. They can go and buy gifts for parents and for kids for just $1 a piece. And what we want to do as a church is to bless these families by providing 3,000 gifts, that our mission staff has said we can do this. We can provide 3,000 gifts to this gift shop alongside of Lighthouse Church and Pastor D. McIntosh that, that, again, this isn't heroic peacemaking work that anybody's going to write a book about, but this is a chance to ease the burden to bring a little bit of peace to those who are living in the midst of turmoil, for us to participate in the world that God is creating, the peace-filled world. And so after the service, we'd love for you to go across the great room. There's a wall there. It's really well decorated, and they just have cards. You can take a card. They'll tell you who to buy the gifts for. You can buy three gifts per card and then bring them back. We'll be giving out cards this week and next and start start taking gifts on the weekend of December 1st and 2nd, just a way for us as a church to be involved in the work that God is doing in our city and in the world. What we know is that peacemaking is not the heroic work of a few would-be saviors, but peacemaking is the kingdom work of the many everyday humble sinners who have experienced the peace of the king. Jesus has brought peace into our world. 
Jesus has brought peace. It is a contagious peace. It is a never-ending peace. It is the most powerful peace the world knows. And it sets the stage for your life and for mine to live under King Jesus. We were made to flourish. God's world was made to flourish. Let us participate in this thing that God is doing to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of the King. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for who you are and for how you love us. We thank you that in Jesus that we have been made right with you, that you have created peace, that though we once felt the hostilities that existed between us and God, that now we no longer feel them because you have come close. So may that transform us yesterday, today, and tomorrow. May it send us out into the world to be agents of peace, not as saviors, but just as those who have been redeemed and who have seen a glimpse of a better life, a better world, a world full of peace. So I pray that you would be here with my brothers and sisters. Let us know your nearness and let us know your peace. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, amen.